you turn tonight to Romans 8. Again, we, there, there is so much meat in Romans 8 that uh, there are actually a, a couple of commentaries to where there's an entire volume on just Romans 8. That's how meaty this particular passage happens to be. And tonight, we continue the thought process of the Holy Spirit at work in the world. We've seen that we are God's kids. We've seen that one day we're going to actually share in the glory of God. And tonight, we, we delve into this concept, this thought. We begin in verse 19. We'll take down to verse 22. But we have kind of the climatic presentation of, of this concept of the ministry of the Holy Spirit kind of redeeming back the world that we live in, the bodies that we now inhabit, and one day the entire universe itself. And so tonight, uh, the first of three specific parts of this groaning that happens because we are still trapped here in these bodies of flesh. Amen? We're still on an earth that is subject to corruption. We, we still live in a world that is affected by sin. Not only is not the condition of all mankind that they're saved, but in fact we who are saved are still affected by sin. And so tonight we find this groaning creation. But one day, it's going to shout for glory. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we want to lift up tonight our time in your word. And Lord, I want to lift up my brother Dave in Mount Pleasant, Texas. And as he has an opportunity uh, to minister in Kenya, uh, we just lift him up to you. And we pray for the needs of that ministry, Lord. The money's necessary to take the gospel into those unreached um, communities that are uh, outside of the capital city of Nairobi, and we would just ask, Lord, that you would provide in great measure, uh, Lord, for that, and as we as a church pray on it, pray that you would impress upon the hearts of your people uh, to support that work. And so, Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word, again, the infallible, God-authored word that we have in our laps, we pray that you'd speak to us through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we dig into these verses, you really have to get to the place uh, for all of us, whether you either believe that everything that we see in the entire universe is either created or it happened by chance. That's really the only two options, because it either is a creation of someone at some point in time, somewhere, or... It generated itself. The Big Bang Theory, evolution, plainly states that it created itself, in essence. That there was a singularity that in times past, some 13.7 billion years ago, that there was a cluster of the seed of the universe, this little tiny mass, and that mass exploded. And once that mass exploded, it created every single thing in the entire universe. All of the cells, all the systems, all the planets, all the galaxies, black holes, everything came about by random chance processes in the last 
7 to 13.9 billion years according to science today. And the reason I say that is we're going to see a word. And that word is creation. So the opposite of that is that there's an infinite God who dwells outside of what we know is our universe that is comprised of matter, space, and time. And if there is a God that exists outside of it, then we would expect that that God could then be the creator of something that he dwells outside of, if he, in fact, is greater than that which is created. And so tonight we're going to delve in a little bit to the creation and why the creation today groans. Because I happen to believe that everything in the entire universe was created, and it was created by God. There's a creator. And I aim to to dig in a little bit deep tonight, so some of you, hang on, you'll be okay. You're going to get a little science tonight, And and I pray that you'll take that science as a way to stimulate your appetite. But I think it's important that we not cave in to that which people often say, if you believe that the universe was created, that you are ignorant. I will plainly help you understand tonight that you are not ignorant if you believe that there is a creator. And in fact, it is a far more reasonable scientific explanation for all that we see than something the size uh, that almost the size of a basketball somehow exploded and created everything that we see out of chaos. And so tonight, verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now remember the sons of God, that's you and me, that's us, that's all who believe on his name. That's every last single living, breathing person who knows the Lord Jesus, all who have lived before, all who live today, and everyone who will live after. The creation itself is waiting for us to be revealed. Because right now, the world doesn't actually see Christians, generally speaking, as the sons of God. Matter of fact, the world sees us as the problem and not the solution very often. But it says one day we're going to be revealed, and that word revealed there is actually the Greek word apocalypsis, which is the same word as unveiling. It's the word revelation from which we get the name of the book. So one day we are going to be unveiled for all that we are as the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, and I want you to read this very, very carefully. Because the Apostle Paul is making a statement that ties all the way back to chapter 1. Because you can either worship the Creator or you can worship the creation. And the world largely today worships the creation. Worships the earth itself and everything on it. and, And those created things, in essence, have become to many God themselves. For the creation was subjected to futility. word futility there can also be translated chaos, disorder. 
Lack of purpose is another word that could come out of that. Not willingly. If you know your Bible, the book of Genesis plainly declares that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? So if he created the heavens, he created it as he goes on to say, not just good, but very good. So the creation in the beginning was perfect. No sin, no death, no problems. But God, because of man's propensity to not only sin, but to worship that which he created instead of him who created it, subjected the creation itself to chaos and disorder, futility. Why? Because if God had allowed the creation to stay as it was in the Garden of Eden, mankind would have even more so worshipped the creation than it does today. Because the creation is still very beautiful, amen? If you've ever traveled to the Grand Canyon, seen a sunset there, or maybe Yosemite Valley. Perhaps you've gone to Zion or Bryce National Park and gone through the Grand Staircase National Monument. You just look and you go, this is amazing. You've looked at the intricacy of a flower. You've, you've seen a sunset. And you wonder how every single day God can change the colors and the hues and somehow your mind translates that into beauty. The creation. Notice it says not willingly. Because of him who subjected it in hope. God himself subjected the creation in hope. To futility. He said, I'm going to make it so that mankind will not forever be able to worship the creation. And from the time that Adam fell until this day, the creation itself has been in a constant state of decay. From day one to today, and will continue until we're revealed in glory. The Lord comes again and exposes us for who we actually are his children fully completely right now the world sees that partially through the work of the spirit in our lives notice he's used the word already twice here it comes again because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption the creation itself as we see it today is under a God-ordained bondage to corruption. In other words, it continues to decay. There are four laws of thermodynamics. The second one is the law of entropy. It says that all things, all things, everything, the entire universe tends towards disorder, chaos, entropy, a dispersion of energy and information. That is a law of physics. Your Bible actually declares that very plainly. That God himself subjected the universe to that, his creation. And so from day one to this day, from Adam's sin to now, 
The world has been under this bondage to corruption. And from that point into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That God is going to, in essence, re-glorify what he made. He's going to do that in several steps. When Jesus himself comes back, the second coming, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to give us a thousand years to reign on this earth, and then he's going to scramble the whole mess up and make a brand spanking new one, including a new Jerusalem, a holy city that will descend from the heavens. And people often say, oh, that's crazy. That is nuts. You don't actually believe that, do you? I always look at him and go, you don't believe that nothing became something blew up and got ordered, do you? (laughs) You see, don't let people look at you and talk to you that way because the basic assumption that you have to have if you don't believe there's a creator is that in essence, nothing became everything you see. With all of its order, with all of its intricacy, with all of the detail, with all of the fine-tuning, with all of the systems, everything that you see came from an explosion. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever messed with fireworks, but when you take things and you put them inside of a Coke can, add an M80 to it, light the fuse, um, you're not going to get something good. You generally will get bits, pieces, and parts. And yet, a vast majority of the world believes that there was a seed of a universe that was very small some nearly 14 billion years ago that blew up and that explosion created the entire universe. I think God created it. And I believe that I can give you reasons for that. One day he's going to celebrate the glorious liberty that he's going to give us also with his creation, the fullness of it, the earth and all that's on it, the stars and all they are. For we know, here it comes number four time. The whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs unto now. Now probably many of you, there's quite a few of us in this room that appear to be in that age group where we were either in high school or college in the 1960s and 70s. And we were at the birth of the environmental age where all of a sudden we thought that the concept that would save the world is if we just take all of us back to, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, where the water was clean, the air was clear, where there was just a utopian air about the entire world. And I remember thinking these things as a high school student and a college student, It's like, yeah, if we just did that, I mean, we could save the world. And while I want to be very clear 
we as Christians have been given stewardship of God's creation, and we are absolutely supposed to take care of his earth. It doesn't belong to us, it's his. And we have done a lousy, a very poor job of doing that. That is actually not the problem. The problem is stated here. That God himself subjected his creation to futility. That it is actually under the bondage of corruption, and God himself has allowed that. And the reason being is actually found in Romans chapter 1, and it's there after a long passage beginning in verse 18, but verse 25 says this of Romans 1. Speaking about those who do not know the Lord, who exchange the truth of God for the lie. The truth of God is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the truth. So whenever that beginning was, there has always been God. And God from nothing, because he's capable of doing that, because he can create anything he wants, including things from nothing, created the heavens and the earth. But what does man do? We exchange the truth of God for a lie. That somehow the seed of the universe blew up, began to expand ever increasingly, moved out at light speed, created star systems and galaxies and gas. Those gas clouds began to form stars and star systems formed stellar bodies, planets. Some of those gases coalesced around certain areas of certain planets and by the way, if you know anything about space, you also know that a vast majority of space exists at what we call absolute zero. Absolute zero is the temperature at which all matter ceases to move and all heat, which is energy, is exchanged. Everything stops. Minus 217.15 degrees below zero. But in that environment... All kinds of precursor chemicals began to exist and exist and coalesce. And they stayed out there for billions of years. And finally, there's a blue-green algae. And it floated around in space for a few more billion years until its cousin, another blue-green algae, came along. And they became very friendly. They were frisky algae. And they multiplied. You see, people try and skip over the very obvious when they say there is no God. When they say the universe created itself, or one of the other current theories is, well, maybe there's intelligence somewhere out there in the galaxies and they brought life here then you have exactly the same problem question formulated a different way well who created them did they happen by chance doesn't solve a thing it just pushes the agency of change to someone and something else but notice what it says that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
that the creation itself that was subjected began this process. It's a picture of creation on its tiptoes. Creation is just standing there going, man, we can't wait until this gets fixed. The Greek word that's used here, anxious or earnest or expectation, all of those same words. The whole creation is going, we, we were created and we're waiting for the creator to stop that which he put in play, which is disorder, which is chaos. And so the groaning, the lament of God's very good creation from Genesis 1.31 is, man, this, this universe is a mess. Our planet's a mess. Our country's a mess. It's not the fault of creation, it's the evidence of sin. The reason that the world is falling apart is not because we don't have enough environmental laws. It's because of sin. Mankind's sin caused God to subject the entire creation to futility. He put in play the second law of thermodynamics. And so creation is waiting for that to get changed. And one day, the rapture of the church, the second coming, the battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign of Christ, and boom, God's going to fix everything. But right now, the clock is ticking. And all of the time, when you, when you look at the world, you can actually see it. You know, we lived up in the mountains for 23 years. And we went through multiple cycles of, you know, winters like we had this year. I was looking at some pictures of some houses in Mammoth Lakes. They still have snow over the tops of their roots. You know, we got some, we got some water this year. But, you know, we've got a crushing drought that's never going to break. And the sea levels are going to rise and we're all going to die. And I'm not so much mocking as I'm drawing attention to the earth has cycled like that for thousands of years. It's because it's groaning. It's agonizing. It's waiting to be set free because right now it's under the bondage of sin. I often get asked the question, you know, well, was there any poison oak in the Garden of Eden? No. There was no poison oak. There were for sure no mosquitoes. Those are all things that are evidence of, of a creation that's not working well. And so God says, look, I don't want you worshiping sequoias. I don't want you worshiping coast redwoods. I don't want you worshiping the Grand Canyon. I don't want you worshiping the sun. I don't want you worshiping rocks. I don't want you worshiping mountains. I want you worshiping me. So I'm going to let all these things testify of me, but when you begin to worship the creation instead of the creator who is blessed forevermore, which is what Romans 1 says, you, you've missed it. One day God's going to correct that. Right now we see a world that is suffering. And that creation includes plants, it includes animals, it includes inanimate things. Rivers, lakes, mountains, seas, heavenly bodies. You don't even think about it. If you could see what is spinning around our planet, space junk, 
how much stuff is up there that we have launched into space that's now spinning around our planet. You know, we have two space stations where, where all they do is track the junk because we've even junked up the space that's around our planet. There's so much stuff up there. There are those extraterrestrial objects. We've got chunks of old spacecraft and stuff floating around in space that are the size of buses. The creation is waiting for that time when God's going to reveal us for the people that we are. Right now, the world doesn't get it. It's largely ignorant of of God's role in in creating everything that we see. But one day, he's going to show the world through his children that he's actually in charge. I can't wait for that day. You see, before the fall, no poisonous plants, no smog, no misery, no harm. God says to Adam, basically at the fall, look, you blew it. Cursed is the ground. Isn't that what he said? He said, cursed is the ground. You're going to till it all the days of your life by the sweat of your brow. He says, look, I I want you to make sure that you get this part right. Because I created you. And I created you to enjoy beauty. So you're going to see beauty. You know what you're going to do? You're going to worship beauty. You're going to worship mountains. We, we have so many religious viewpoints on planet Earth that worship basically the creation. We, have, we call it animism. We have groups that just simply worship the animal world. You have Al Gore and his group that worship Gaia, the Mother Earth goddess, who, depending on who you talk to, believe that Earth itself is God. Or that there's a mother earth goddess because us men have destroyed everything. So it's got to be a goddess instead of a god. And again, I'm not so much mocking as saying the extremes to which the human mind goes to try and factor God out of the equation is mind-boggling. Your Bible simply says, in the beginning, God. And science has been trying... Uh, branches of it, though there are massive amounts of scientists who believe that God is the only answer. But mankind's been saying, well, if I believe in a creator, then i got to wonder what he wants of me. I can't have that. So as Adam falls, the world is subject to the second law. And basically, God let the weeds grow. The verb here, and the way it's, the way it's parsed, is it, it was subjected. In other words, it indicates from the, the nature didn't curse itself. You see, a lot of people believe that the earth kind of is in a downward spiral, and it's just falling apart. Basically, it can't any longer control itself. The climate systems and the things that happen to cause water to evaporate and turn into cloud vapor and then to go over land masses and turn into ice and begin to drop snow and that snow melts and turns into rivers that everything is so messed up because man messed it up. Has man made it worse in some cases? Absolutely. 
but God subjected it to futility. He says, you're never going to be able to trust in the earth because I made it purposefully the way it is right now so that you wouldn't worship it. And so you look at it, it's like, man, it's, it's fallen apart. And in doing so, he causes us to look at ourselves. He says, look, you guys need to decide for yourself. Are you a created being, which your Bible says, by the way, you were created in the image of God, or are you, a, you an accident? Or are you just some precursor chemicals that somehow hung around in outer space, perhaps for billions of years, Or did God actually create you the way you are? I think the evidence is actually very, very clear. But of course, the creation itself, people are wandering around and the weeds are growing. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of John Muir. I am grateful because through his actions, we, we saved a massive amount of wilderness in our country. And I'm actually grateful for that. I think it's a wonderful thing. It should have been done. But I can tell you this, that isn't going to save the planet. Not because I say so, God says so. It has been subjected to futility. And so you can worship it. You you can have a Mother Earth goddess. You can be a neo-pagan if you want. But it's not man's destructiveness It's God's subjection of his creation to futility that has caused the problem. That we see anyway. You see, some people think if we just went back far enough and we did away with the Industrial Revolution, or or maybe we went back to the way... It's like, I've never actually watched the show, but I've seen commercials for it, Naked and Afraid. Are those guys idiots or what? It's like you can go to In-N-Out or you can wander around Tanzania with no clothes in briar patches. I'm thinking, give me the In-N-Out, double-double please, with fries and a large coke. But people actually think, well, you know, if we just live like that, we, we go back to everything organic. And if if you're here tonight and you're a vegetarian, you're a vegan, you eat organic, I'm not disrespecting what you believe you might want to do, but I'm telling you that won't save the planet. And let me tell you, I can give you a couple of examples. About 450 years ago, you may have heard of it, a thing called Black Death. It swept over Europe. Can I tell you something? It wasn't caused by man. It didn't have a thing to do with man. In fact, it was a little tiny bacteria called Yersinia pestis. And it began to affect fleas. And those fleas infested rats. And they spread those fleas. And by the time you know it, someplace between 25 and 50 million people died. And it didn't have a thing to do with man. And it was at a time when most people didn't have a car. They weren't driving SUVs. Nobody used an incandescent light bulb. Nobody was running around spraying CFCs into the air. 
We weren't concerned with the ozone level. It had nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's because the world is a very, very dangerous place and was made so by God so that we would never trust in ourselves. We wouldn't trust in the world. We wouldn't trust in the creation. We would always be looking to God. And so he says, look, there's hope. He says, therefore, the creation itself is subjected. In other words, there's a time when God's going to take care of what he set in place. The laws of physics that man lives by. You know, you can disagree with the laws of physics all you want, but you're not going to be able to overcome them. The laws of physics still stand. And so whether you like it or not doesn't matter. It's still true. And so what God did is create a world that you can't hope and trust in. And he did that to point you back towards him. Nature's destiny thereby is actually inseparably linked to man's destiny. So in that, we actually agree with people who hold some pretty radical views about the environment. We are linked together, but we're linked together because God said so. Not because you drive an SUV. Not because the Earth's atmosphere has warmed up over the last 25 years. Those things may be true. But that's not going to be the cause of the downfall of mankind. Sin is the cause of the downfall of mankind. Always has been, always will be. And so what's in view here, really, is is where are you putting your hope? Where are you putting your trust? Whom are you believing in? Because if you believe you're an accident, then you have to trust in the creation. If you believe you were created, then you trust in the Creator. And so God says, I want you to trust in me, the Creator, not in that which I've created. As we think on these things, the thing that people always skip over is if there's no Creator, then what you have to believe that somehow... Somewhere in the universe, a bunch of random chemicals got together and stayed in one place for a very long time, got to know other chemicals extremely well, and then organized themselves into several chemical groupings that we call molecules. They began with amino acids, they turned into proteins, and then into enzymes. You have to believe that. There is no other way for any life to exist without amino acids, proteins, and enzymes. Those three things make up every last person in this room. By the way, they make up every bacteria, every single-celled organism, every single thing that is biologic on the face of this earth whether it is a plant or an animal, is made out of those three components. And furthermore, there are 20 very specific amino acids that are necessary to make up every single cell of every single thing on this planet. And they're arranged in over 100,000 different orders 
to make up the various component parts of all of those proteins and enzymes that make up you. Now, in case that's a little over your head, I think I can break this down for you a little bit. Because the director of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences pointed out the problem, and he did it in a scientific way. He said, the evolutionary history of the world, from the Big Bang to the present universe, is a series of gradual steps from simple to the complicated. Now, that in and of itself flies directly in the face of the second law of thermodynamics, but let's skip over his first assumption. From an unordered to the organized, from formless gas, elementary particles, to morphic atoms and molecules, and further to still more structured liquids and solids. In other words, what he's saying is, if you take something and leave it in place long enough, it will get better and a whole lot more organized, and very much more complex, all you got to do is leave it there long enough. That's the president of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. There is no place in the entire universe where that is true. And he knows that. Nothing because of the second law of thermodynamics, actually can do that. Because everything tends towards its lowest state of organization, its lowest state of energy. And so Dr. Weisskopf begins with an assumption that is factually inaccurate and yet still postulates, comes up with the idea that somehow give nothing a lot of time and it will become something. That's what he believed. That's what he taught. That's what the world continues to believe. And so if you believe that, you have a problem with all physics, you have a problem with all biology. It's not even a hard concept to understand. Because here's what actually has to happen. Not only do you have to have exactly the right chemicals... But you have to have exactly the right chemicals in exactly the right order to produce the exact right amino acids, the exact right proteins, and the exact right enzymes, and they must exist simultaneously because they form a system. And those systems cannot exist without one another. So you can't have part of a cell over here and part of a cell over here because the thing that kills all of these things is a really bad substance called oxygen. And so I don't know how you had biologic life when you didn't have the photosynthesis necessary from plants existing in the first place to produce enough oxygen that if it existed, once that cell became alive, it could breathe because the oxygen it produced ahead of time would have killed the cells that were going to turn into that. That confuse you? It should. It's that silly. The logic behind it is absolutely unfathomable because you can't get from point A to point B. And yet people don't believe that God was capable of creating anything. 
the mid-1800s, Louis, Louis Pasteur, whom you all can thank for uh, us having sterilized surgical suites today, but he proved that life couldn't come from non-life. It's a, it's a principle called abiogenesis. In other words, you take something that's not alive, it cannot become alive. He says it's not possible. And yet those who deny that actually have to believe that what we know can't happen somehow did. And in fact, we are right now on the planet Mars. We have spent now tens of billions of dollars sending satellites and rovers to the planet Mars looking for the precursor chemicals that could have possibly created life. You know what we found thus far? Zip, nada, nothing. Supposedly a little bit of ice, which hasn't been proven, by the way. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Not one cell, not one system. You see, it's a myth. And yet people believe it. People wander around and... I remember in a science class in junior high. Now, bear in mind, in junior high, this is the mid-1960s, it's only about 10 years after Dr. Miller and Ure did their first experiment, and you probably all heard about it, you know, that someplace in the primordial past there was a bowl of kind of the soup of the universe and somehow lightning or some form of energy struck that and chemicals began to form and molecules and all kinds of things happened. They ran that experiment over 50,000 times. Now, if you know anything about a science lab, it's a controlled environment, amen? It's not exactly space at absolute zero where nothing's going to move. But let's give them that. And the reason I'm hitting this is because people every day deny Jesus Christ because they think he's not scientifically plausible. So I'm trying to help you understand that your Savior is not only scientifically plausible, he's the creator of heaven and earth. You you see, what they went on to try and say, the proof of all life, is that you move down this chain the same biomolecules, the same metabolic pathways, the same genetic information, the things that make up every single bit of biologic life that's on this earth. It has to be either created or it evolved by itself. There's no other explanation, even if you throw E.T. in the mix. Throw E.T. in, now E.T. created it. So E.T.'s creator, who created the creator, Who created E.T.? Now you have the same problem, just a different way to look at it. So the modern theories of, of creation of life only go back to about 1924. Past that, virtually every scientist in the world believed in a creator. But thanks to communism, because the chief tenet of communism is, there's no God. So what would you expect communism to come up with but a reason for us to believe? You see, Charles Darwin didn't come up with this. A scientist named Oparian did. And after him, D.S. Haldane. And they begin to put forth these theories that somehow all these chemicals could kind of hang around together. Yeah, it might take 300 million years. 
One of the reasons for the dating of the age of the earth has nothing to do with us being able to prove that rocks are that old. It's the time necessary for their theory of evolution to work itself out. And so people are sitting around, well, yeah, of course we know that the universe is 13.7 billion years old. No, we do not. You know why that is? Because there weren't nobody there. So you can take an educated guess based on how far light has traveled, the wavelengths of that light, measuring radioisotopes in rocks, those types of things, but you don't know. Science itself tells us that things that you want to prove them empirically, they have to be scientifically verifiable and repeatable. You've got to be able to do the experiment over and say, yep, that's exactly what happened. So it is a hypothesis. And the reason that it is is so that people can have some other reason besides in the beginning God. Family, you were created. That experiment produced a handful of chemicals. Those chemicals chiefly were methane gas, ammonia, and hydrogen. It was a mix. And they took those gases and they put them in a very controlled system. And in fact, it looked exactly like that. And so as they began to put an electrical current across those chemicals, they began to spin off a few things. It could be the precursors to a couple of hopefully amino acids. The only problem was after they ran it, the only things that they actually produced were two chemicals that you know pretty well if you've been around for very long. Most of you probably don't like cyanide, amen? Don't know what it does to you, but it would kill me. I also don't think that you probably like formaldehyde. If you were back in the high school days in the 1960s, uh, you had a jar of formaldehyde. It had a frog in it, and that's the thing that you dissected. Why? Because it absolutely preserves all life. It keeps it in a stasis, but it kills everything. So those two chemicals were spun off of that experiment. But because it didn't prove anything, well, they said, you know what, we, we produced a couple of chemicals that might be a, a, a single uh, amino acid. As it began to unwind the DNA molecule, one of the things that we found out was that there's 20 specific amino acids that make up every single cell of your body. They didn't produce any of them. So in a controlled environment, an experiment run over 50,000 times, they never produced even one of the 20. Not one. Now I need to tell you, that's not space. There's a couple other problems. There's two things added into that equation, that's that experiment, that don't exist out in the middle of space. Anybody know what they are? Energy and information. There's information in that. That didn't happen by random chance. There are no beakers floating around out in space. There's no glass piping. There are certainly no electrical wires. And you can't control where anything happens or how it happens. And yet people believe every moment of every day that somehow all these chemicals floated around in space and they all got together and poof, life. What it produces, at the very best, is a messy, tar-like substance that if you spread it onto any living thing, it kills it. 
It doesn't produce life. It doesn't produce proteins or polynucleotides or thermically conductive chemicals. It certainly doesn't produce the mitochondrial DNA that you have in your body. You see, you are, in fact, as Scripture says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single day that you're alive, the mitochondria in your cells, in your body, recycle your entire body weight producing energy. And the only thing that you expel is a few things out of your lungs, a little bit of water, some waste byproducts, but it turns it all into energy. Most of you probably know that you need around 1,500 calories. Do you know why that is? Because your muscles need to move. Your neural pathways need to fire. All those things that somebody who doesn't believe in a creator says happens by chance. You have 300 trillion mitochondrial motors in your body. Every one of them has to exist in exactly the place that they exist for every single cell to function because they have no way to extract the energy necessary for you to even function unless they have the full working mitochondria before the cell exists. Oops. That's a problem. Why am I telling you all this? Don't let the world rip you off that there's no creator. There's a creator. And he created you. He created your RNA, your ribonucleic acid. He created your DNA. And oh, by the way, he created all those proteins, all those amino acids, all those enzymes. And in fact, when he created your DNA, he coded every last single cell left-handed. And the only way they can join together is if they are left-handed. So if there was ever a right-handed one, you know what happens? We call them birth defects. So if at any point in time, in all of your pairs of chromosomes, if ever there was a time when all of them didn't match and all of them weren't left-handed, they could not join and you would not have been you. There's a creator And he created the universe. And he made it irreducibly complex. Every single part of your body that functions has multiple units that if they do not exist simultaneously, you do not exist at all. It's not a matter of creating one chemical compound like a protein, not one complex molecule. It's a matter of creating them all in the same place at the same time. And then creating their ability to know what each other is and does. You know what does that? Your DNA. It is encoded information that contains the entirety of you. So much so that you're so unique that we now go to trial and we do all those things and if, you're, if you've got a case where there's something that they need to prove that it was you, the first thing they do is run a DNA test on you. Why? Because there's only one of you. Your DNA is perfectly unique. It exists in its entirety only as you. All those proteins and molecules floating around in space don't make us 
bit of sense. Now, I don't know how many of you in here have ever toured a large manufacturing facility, but if you were to tour a car facility that manufactures cars today, you're going to find robots, automation, automated product line, automated, e- even the parts are now radio, they're RFID tagged, there's a robot that can find them anywhere in the warehouse, pull them off of the shelf, take them to where they need to go. There's not a person in here that believes all that stuff happened by chance, right? Does anybody in here believe that a car factory came about by chance? I didn't think so. Your body is over a hundred thousand times more complex than a car factory. Over a hundred thousand times than an entire car factory. Everything it does, every capacity it has. And yet people think, you know, there was a monkey someplace that liked another monkey and they somehow had a child that wasn't a monkey. was a little better than them. It doesn't even explain how the blue-green algaes turned into the lizard that turned into the fish that turned into the frog that turned into whatever. You see, you were created. There's a creator, and there is a creation. Scripture calls that a mystery, how God did it. He didn't explain it all to us. But what he did do is make it so amazingly complex that when you look at the complexity of all of it, you begin to go, there's no way in the world this could have all happened by random chance process. I don't care how much time you give it. The mathematical probabilities of a single protein happening by random chance, if the universe was in fact 13.7 billion years is so extreme that you would need another 18.9 billion years from today for there to be one protein anywhere in the universe. And yet, people say, E.T. brought us here. Creation's groaning because the God that made it said, look, I've given it a life expectancy. And one day when I glorify the children of God, I'm going to glorify my creation again. I'm going to make it look like it was, act like it was, function like it did before sin entered into the world through Adam. It causes us to long for that day. You see, I I can't wait. I don't know what it's going to be like to walk around in a completely perfect creation because I kind of like the one we have now. But I know this. This pales in comparison to what God will one day do. If he can do this with the messed up creation, can you imagine what he can do with the new one? You see, it makes you long for heaven. It makes you look at the world. It makes you look at the universe Sometimes, I, I, I don't know if you ever do this, you can go on to, NASA has a website, and you, you can go to the Hubble Space Telescope and look at these incredible images that exist. You, you see right now that it's groaning. It's in slavery to corruption. And yet it's still pretty amazingly beautiful, isn't it? 
That's because God subjected it in hope. He didn't say, look, I'm going to make it horrible for you. I'm just going to make it so you're going to have enough questions that when you get to the end of those questions, you're going to go, hmm. There's a God. And he loves me. And I pray you look for that God in every sunset. Every wave. Every silly lick from your dog. Every cat purr. I had to stretch to say that. I think cats cannot be saved. Every time you touch your, your baby's face, look into your grandchild's eyes. Every time you kiss your spouse, every time you, somebody touches you, that's all supposed to remind you, hey, this didn't happen by chance. That's part of that creation that one day is going to be all that God wants it to be. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together. I'm going to bring the pastors forward. Maybe you, maybe you don't know the Creator. He wants to know you. And He sent Jesus to make sure that that was easy to do. Jesus said to as many as receive him to them. He gave, he gave the power to become the sons of God. Apostle Paul reminded us of that truth here in the book of Romans. So if you need prayer, maybe you just don't know what to think about this whole creation thing. There are so many books out there, just marvelous Marvelous, marvelous science. Go on the Institute for Creation Research and just go through their website. You'll, you'll walk away going, man, why didn't my science teacher tell me this? Why didn't my doctor tell me this? A lot of doctors will. Because they know. They see it every day. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thanks that the creation is Today, futile, Lord, subjected. Runs around in chaos, but it's still amazing. One day you're going to square it all away and make it the way it was intended to be, without sin. Lord, as you reveal us, so you will reveal your creation. And we thank you for that day. It was subjected in hope. But one day you'll make it all right. And we rest in that hope today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Bless us with your Spirit's presence in our lives. Lord, help us to know the truth. Lord, help us to seek the truth with all of our heart. Lord, so that we can walk in it. Thank you for your creation that we can stare at. And it testifies of you. It's what your word says, Lord. For the entirety of creation cries out Jesus. 
We thank you for that. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.